Good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's good to see you all here today. So many faces I'm seeing for the first time in a long time today. And so if this is your first time back in person, I welcome you today. So good to see you. If this is your first time with us, I'm so glad that you are here today. Uh, I'm excited to have you with us. Uh, my name is Justin. I'm the pastor here. And uh, I'm excited to get into the Word this morning. We, have, we are going through a series called Real Love, Real Love. We are looking in 1 John. We started the series last week. Johnny opened it up for us, and uh, it's great. We're reading from John. We had a preacher named Johnny and another preacher next week named John. Uh, so it's going to be really, really clear uh, who's saying what as we preach, and I love it. Um, so we're reading from 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 to chapter 2, verse 2. But before we read that, I want to ask you something. If you are a Christian, you call yourself a Christian, you follow Christ, then uh, I wonder if you have ever struggled with this idea like I have, uh, that when Jesus asks somebody to repent, he tells uh, several people, go and sin no more. And you hear that and you read about what sin does to our life and the, the, the death that it causes. And you read about how we are called to be righteous. And if you read the Psalms, the path of the righteous and what God does for the righteous. But so you're striving for that perfection. But then the reality of your sinfulness strikes you. And when the reality of your sinfulness strikes you, you wonder, God, am I even saved? Have I, have I really followed you? Is all the things I read in scripture about the new life true? How can I go and sin no more when the reality of my sinfulness is before my very eyes every day? How is that possible? Christians usually deal with this tension one of two ways. We usually pretend that we never sin and are always fully righteous. We take the posture of the Pharisee that says, I, I am good, I do not need anyone or anybody, including Jesus right now. I'm fine, I got this all under control. Don't you know? You know, there was, a, there was a, a, a battle in the church for over 100 years in the early church on were you allowed to sin after you were baptized? And how they dealt with this many times was people would wait to the moment of death to be baptized so that they can go before the Lord in heaven perfect. This is a struggle that we have felt, a tension that we have felt from the very beginning. How do we follow and obey the commands of Jesus, yet live with a body that is full of human frailty? And so some of us pretend. We're good, we're righteous. Some of our pretending is really lying, that we are good and that we are righteous, telling everybody that we have done nothing when our sin is ever before our face. The other way that we do this as Christians many times I see is we downplay 
the effects of sin and acting like sin is no big deal. Ah, you know, grace will cover that or it's fine, don't worry about that. God understands. He's good with it. It's the whole point of the gospel, right? It's no big deal. Well, that tension is what John exposes today in the scripture that we're reading. He, he exposes some of these very same ideas that this early church was dealing with in their community, giving us a master class of how do we hold the tension of striving for perfection, yet living not yet in the kingdom of God, fully present before us where there is no sin or sorrow. So let's read. Everybody should have gotten a bulletin on their way in so you can read along with me in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. If you're online, you should have received the link so that you can click on and read along with us. Starting in verse 5, John says this, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you from Jesus that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and now for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Amen. So John's opening argument here, what he is going to base the rest of what he will say is this in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. John wants to set the record straight right from the very beginning that this is the message that he had heard from Jesus. And as we read last week, John touched Jesus. He saw Jesus with his own eyes. He heard Jesus with his own ears. He was an eyewitness to the very things that Jesus did. And what he was proclaiming to the church now is not something that he heard secondhand knowledge, but it was something that Jesus himself had taught him, that God is light and that in him is no darkness. Light, this idea of light and darkness is going to be a tension that we hold throughout the rest of 1 John. Light, as we see in scriptures, is life. Full life, unending life. A lot of times when we read scripture and understand God and his infinite wisdom and his infinite power, we have to realize that God what he gives to us is not a zero-sum game. It is infinite. He has infinite life to hand out, infinite wisdom to hand out. If he hands out a lot to me, that doesn't mean he has less for you. He has a lot for all of us. 
He has a lot of life for all of us. God is pure. He is full of purity. There is no impurity in him. There is no darkness. There is no sin in him. He is fully just, righteous, and pure in all things. And he is truth. All truth leads back to God. That was something that we talked about last week that gave me peace to know that we are not at at, at odds with science. We are not at odds with history. We are not at odds with logic. What happens when we truly find truth? What we do find is we find God because God is truth. And so if God is all of these things, John's logical argument is that in him there is no darkness. And here's that very first tension we felt. Because many of us here would say, well, there's darkness in me. Does that not mean that I am with God? Well, God is all that is good and no evil can dwell in him. Nothing bad can share in his nature. It is impossible. So I want us to hold that tension today. What does that mean for us? How do we live and live in this perfect God where there is no darkness when all of us see the darkness around us in our life, in our heart? See, John is making this clear also because God is not like the other gods, small g, that the people were used to, the gods of Egypt or of Greece or of Rome, where if you look at the history of those gods, what they were just like humans. They lusted like humans. They lied like humans. There was light, sure, in them, but there was also darkness in them. It was a yin and yang effect where everything is full of some light and some darkness. They were just more powerful in whatever they chose. God is not like that. In him only is light. He is the light. He is not like our ideas of morality even today where in our ideas of morality, we leave room for darkness and things like utilitarianism, which in any philosophy 101 class, they will teach you about this. This is good morality that the ends justify the means, which means there are things that we can do that are dark as long as the end produces something that is better. God rejects that and says, no, the ends and the means are all the same. They are all in the light. Moral relativism teaches that as long as we interpret things as good, that is what matters. It doesn't matter if we perceive what is done to us as dark. See, we live in a world that cannot hold this tension, that we make excuses for the darkness around us and we build systems so that we can feel better about the things that we do on a regular basis. But in God, John says, is infinite life, infinite truth, and purity. Nothing outside of that exists in him. And so when John makes this opening statement, he is setting up something that is happening here in this passage. He's setting up three arguments that he's going to make. See, like most letters in in the New Testament, most of the epistles, the apostle or the writer is writing to the church or the churches because there's somebody that has come in trying to change the gospel. And John's saying, I saw him, I heard him, I touched him myself. This is what he said. And so when other people are coming in and they are saying this, there's three statements that are made that start, if we say 
where most scholars believe John is either quoting heretics or he's alluding to their theology. So people that are in the church saying wrong things about the gospel, about the word of life, the word of truth. And so he makes these three arguments against what these heretics are saying. The first thing that we say that we'll read is sin has no effect on our relationship with God. This is one thing, the argument that they are making. The second argument that they make is we do not have a sin nature in us. Sin is not something that we are inherently born with and start with from the very beginning. And the third argument they make is sin does not show up in our conduct as Christians. Each one of these arguments, as I said, starts with the if we say. But John grounds his whole argument as God is light. In him is no darkness. And so then he jumps in to argument one. We see in verse six, as I said, listen, if we say, so he says in verse six, if we say we have fellowship with him, with God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. We lie and do not practice the truth. This verse grieves me when I think about it. Because the truth is that sin deeply affects our relationship with God. We cannot take the stance that sin is not a big deal. In Hebrews, it says when we sin, we trample on the blood of Christ. Sin deeply affects our relationship with God. There is no doubt about that. But look at this, what, what John says. He says, while we what, walk in darkness. The type of sin that John is talking about here is the habitual sin, the lifestyle of sin, the sin that we would say, well, God understands, and so I can keep on doing this. Well, God understands, so it's no biggie. I'm just gonna keep on doing me. It is the sin that is the everyday, conscious, willful disobedience to what we know is truth. And John is saying, we cannot have a willful, systematic, daily lifestyle of sin, walking in darkness, and have fellowship with God. These two things cannot coexist with each other. I think of the marriage, the marriage covenant. Many times our relationship with God from the old and the new is, is looked at as a marriage covenant or described in those terms. If somebody in a marriage stepped out on their marriage several times and they kept doing it over and over again, what do you expect for that marriage? That they would not be able to coexist in a deep relationship anymore. This is just the natural way of things. This is how we are built as image bearers of God. We expect the relationship to end. If we're in a friendship with somebody and time and time again, we find out they're gossiping about us and, and talking about us and they don't have our back when we're not in the room. What do we expect for that friendship? It's not gonna continue. We cannot have fellowship anymore if I cannot trust you to have my back when I'm not standing in front of you. If we say we have a relationship with God, but constantly live in secret, habitual sin, then we are lying to ourselves about our relationship with God, and we are lying to everybody else. 
everyone around us. So John's counter argument is this in verse seven. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So he says, if we walk in the light, if we walk in truth, if we walk in purity, there are two promises that will happen. The first promise is really interesting because we're talking about fellowship of God with God. But then John says he takes it a step further because last week we already talked about fellowship with God. He says it's not fellowship of God only that is promised to us. What? Fellowship with one another. We are promised a people to walk with if we walk in the light. We are promised a church. We are promised a family, brothers and sisters, grafted in, adopted into the family of God. We are promised people to walk with. When we are in right relationship with God, we are automatically in right relationship with his people. They go hand in hand. When we walk in the light, we are revealing the depth of what's inside of us. And when we reveal the depth of what's inside of us, we are told over and over again in Scripture, this is not only a revealing to God, but it is a revealing to his people. This is what creates deep fellowship with one another, vulnerability, honesty, truly walking in life. And the next promise is we are purified by the blood the blood of Jesus Christ. This is the reference to the violent death of Jesus Christ. That not only does he forgive us of our sins, but this word cleanse or purify here, it, it literally means erases the stain of our sin. Can we praise God for a second of that? That the blood of Christ not only does a quick wash through of us, but he purifies us, he cleanses us. It says in another scripture we read last week in the Psalms that, that our sin goes as far as the east is from the west. That the blood of Jesus purifies us when we walk in the light, when we walk with God, when we walk open, honest, humble, vulnerable, that we are purified by the blood of Jesus, that it is as if our sin is erased before God. If God is light, then when we walk in darkness, there will be consequences. Sin is not a game. And we need to take it seriously and its effect on us if we are gonna walk with God seriously. But how do we walk in that light? We're gonna continue as John keeps on building on his argument. His argument too says, remember, Remember that line, if we say, if we say in verse eight, we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. This takes on people today that are, are more into spirituality than Christianity. And this, is, this has taken us by storm. If I, I, when I scroll through IG, when I look at what is popular among books, going to a Barnes and Noble, or look at top books on Amazon, spirituality is replacing Christianity, not only in the world, but also in the church, where people believe we can be spiritual and have a relationship with God without being a little Christ, without being a follower and obedient to God. 
And spirituality will say, no, it's not about what we will not have sin. We don't have sin nature. All of us are beings of God. All of us are like God. Whatever is good for you, that is good. There's a lot of deconstruction going around of the church, which I think is good in some points. We need to deconstruct our faith to understand it. But then when we deconstruct the Bible of its truth, we walk away from Christianity and we walk into spirituality. When we walk away from Christianity, when we walk away from Christ, we walk into darkness. Spirituality will say we are all part of God. No one is bad. The universe just has different paths for all of us. It denies our sin nature that sin is in us. And the reason why it denies our sin nature is because if you do not deny sin nature, then you cannot deny a need for a remedy. I love how John says this. He says, we are deceiving ourselves here. When someone deceives themselves, they are believing an obvious lie. And that's what I think this is. That's what I think most spirituality is. It's an obvious lie. It's a lie that we have told ourselves over and over, willingly being blinded to the darkness inside of us. When we pretend we are good, it is easy to deny the need for Jesus. But when we deny sin nature, we are deceiving ourselves because we are denying the very thing that we are dealing with in the mirror every single day. I don't care how good of a front somebody puts on. When they look in the mirror, they know the truth. They know what's really going on deep in their heart. I pretended at work today to be a little bit better than I was. When I met that person for the first time, I, I embellished my job title a little bit. I embellished my resume. I embellished my GPA a little bit. When I, when I talked to my friend today, I, I, I pretended like we were doing a little bit better than what we are. When we pretend we are good, we deny the need for Jesus and the cross to cleanse us of our sin. And we pretend we can be good on our own merit. I got this. I am fine. Without the blood, without the cross. John's counter is this in verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Instead of pretending we are good and perfect, our attitude should be confession as a Christian. Bringing ourselves to the light. Look what has happened in my life. Look at my heart. Look at the reality of my thoughts. Look at the reality of my actions. Look at the reality of my heart. This is what I am. John Stott, a scholar, says this. He says, the proper Christian attitude to sin is not to deny it, but to admit it, and then to receive forgiveness, which God has made possible and promises to us. If you never acknowledge the sin in your heart, 
with confession, then you are denying your sin nature and you are foregoing the cure that Jesus has laid out for us. It says here that the result of confession, instead of, instead of denial, the result of confession is what? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession is not to condemn. Confession is not to go before somebody and to get 90 lashes for what you have done. Jesus took the lashes. He took the penalty on the cross already. Confession is so that when we go before one another and we label the deep sin in our heart, we label the very actions that have tried to separate us from God. Confession means that he is faithful to his word. He says in Jeremiah 31, 34 of the new covenant, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. He says in Psalm chapter 103, verse 12, as I said, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. When we believe in a faithful God, when we sing about God's faithfulness, when we talk about God's faithfulness, we are talking about when we go before him, that he is faithful to forget our misdeeds. He is faithful to forget our disobedience. He is faithful to wipe away our sin, to erase it from existence. He is faithful when we confess. And he is just. You know, this is an interesting thing. Why put just here? Because we cannot talk about God being fully Light and not accepting darkness, but yet accepting us as children without talking about how that messes with his justice. How can a God who is fully light and no darkness dwells in him accept children who in their very nature is sin and darkness, who by our very nature as Adam and Eve did went and hid in their sin instead of bringing it before God? How is that possible? He is just because through the blood of Jesus, the sin has already been paid for. So when we go to him and we expect condemnation, when we don't confess because we are scared of people's reactions, then, and when we are saying we don't think God can forgive us of this thing that we have done, then we are saying that we are expecting a double penalty for this sin. When God is looking at it and he's saying, it has already been paid. The blood has already covered what you've done. There's already been atonement for your sin. In his justice, he cannot sentence two times for the same disobedience, for the same sin. He has already covered it in one hearing of the violent death of Jesus, and he is unwilling to cover it again because there is no need. He is just. Our goal should never be to hide and ultimately deny our sin nature, but to expose it to the light so that we can be cleansed of all unrighteousness and through the blood walk into the presence of God fully in his light, in his life, in his purity, and in his truth. And walk in that through the blood of Christ. John's last argument here in verse 10, he says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. In his first argument, he says that we are the liars. 
In his second argument, he says that we are deceiving ourselves. This is dealing with what we are doing to ourselves. In his third argument, he says, now we are calling God the liar. And, and he's using the most powerful one for the one that would it seem would most contradict his initial argument that God is light and in him is no darkness. If we as a children of God say that we have no sin in our conduct, then it is not ourselves we are deceiving. It is not ourselves that we are lying to. It is God that we are calling a liar. Do you think God is fooled that he is taken aback and surprised that humans aren't perfect? That even after we commit our life to God, that we still mess up and that we live in this frail body? No. He is not surprised. If there's one reality I want you to take from this, it's this reality, that we are all going to sin. I want to take that stigma off because so many times we walk into confession scared that they are gonna know that we aren't perfect. Guess what, brother? Guess what, sister? We already know. I already know. God already knows. Why up here as the preacher, if I look at my life and I look at the sinfulness of my own heart and my life, and I'm the one expounding the word, then how can I expect anyone to be any different? That would be true hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is not living in a church with sinners. Hypocrisy is pretending not to be one. Sin in a Christian's life should not surprise us. But really, hiding our sin should. Unfortunately, we have that reversed. We pretend like sin surprises us, and we aren't surprised that everybody's hiding. But in real community, in real fellowship with God and one another, sin should not surprise us, but hiding it should. Because hiding it means that we don't understand the gospel. Hiding it means that we don't understand the faithfulness of Jesus. Hiding it means we don't understand the justice of God. Hiding it means that we don't understand the reality of the word of life. So John, his counter here is in chapter two, verse one. He says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He is writing not only this argument, but really in many respects, this entire book so that the church may not sin anymore. But if anyone does sin, what does he say? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is writing not only these arguments, but this whole thing so that we don't sin. But if we do, John wants to normalize the reality of sin in our life, not so that we can be perfect and sin no more, but so that we can receive the cure for it. 
We want fellowship with God every day in his, in his light. To be in his light, we do not lie about our sin, deny our sin, or live in our sin. But if anyone does sin, let me tell you some good news we have today. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Imagine you are in the courtroom and you, you, you have a lawyer that you have done something wrong and you are going to jail. There is no, they got videotape of you stealing it. They got five different angles, the street one, the store across the street, the store in front of you did it, the store next door. And it all is pointing at you saying you are guilty and you about to get locked up. There is no way around us. The lawyer on the other side understands what has happened. He has his tapes. He has his opening argument. He has his closing argument. He got to pick the jury. He knows everything that he's going to say to make it seem like you need to go away even longer than what the law says you should be going away for. And you are looking at your case and you are thinking, I am doomed. There's no way around us. But in the system, you are given a lawyer if you don't have one. I, we, I, and you got no money. You can't hire the best defender. You can't hire what these millionaires hire to get out of jail. So you're just looking. I'm, I'm, there's no way out. I'm going away. You're assigned a lawyer. The lawyer walks in the room and he says, don't worry. The judge is my dad. I got you. You'll be fine. You get in that courtroom and the accuser is going at it. He has everything lined up. And then here comes the advocate, the helper. The advocate in scripture is the one who goes before the judge and pleads the case of the guilty. Here is Jesus pleading the case. Can only imagine when the lawyer the, the accuser looks and says, I'm going to lose another one to this guy. The accuser has one job, to remember your list of sins, to accuse you for them. The advocate has another, to plead the blood of Jesus and say, your sins have been washed away. You are cleansed and you are free. Jesus is literally pleading our case before the Father. John says, if you sin, if you mess up, if something happens, if something goes wrong, know this, that you have Jesus Christ pleading your case before the judge. And then he says, he is the propitiation for our sins. Not only is he pleading the case as the priest for us, but he is the sacrifice for us. He is the priest and the sacrifice. To be the propitiation for our sins means that he satisfies the wrath of God. This is how God can be just and fully light, yet still let us human beings live with him for eternity because Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, which means that when he died on the cross, his death satisfied the need for justice. It satisfied the wrath of God, the cup of wrath that is poured out on all of humankind has been satisfied in that one act, the perfect 
person, this man God who dwelt among us, who died for our sins. It says that he, he is the propitiation for our sins so that not only for ours, but his sacrifice was so great that it was also for the sins of the whole world, meaning that anybody who would come to him, anybody who would believe in him, anybody who would say, be my advocate, anybody who would go to Jesus and say, I believe in you, I trust in you, the wrath of God is covered. It is like that Passover blood that when the angel of death comes to that house, comes to the door of my heart, the temple of my body, and looks, he sees the blood of Jesus covering the doorpost. And he says, this one has been covered and moves on. Unable to bring any wrath upon my life. If you are here, I want you to understand this before we move on, that if you wondered, can Jesus still accept me for all I have done? Know that the answer is yes. If you are watching online, the answer is yes. You have an advocate today for you. You have a helper in heaven who has satisfied every judgment that has been put against you and will be tried to be pinned on you in the future. He will plead on your behalf and God will be satisfied. What we should do today is walk away. Remember these verses, John's master class of this tension. God, how are you light? And in you is no darkness, but I am in you. How do we live this life, not a life of shame and condemnation, but a life that understands what you have done so that I can live in freedom and obedience forevermore? John is saying to deny sin's reality in our life is to deny walking in the light with God not to deny us actually sinning. It's when we deny the reality of it. Instead, God today beckons us to the light. He beckons us to honesty. He beckons us to be cleansed. He beckons us to be transparent before him and before one another. So next time you think the Christian thing to do is to pretend everything is okay, to pretend there is no sin. Remember the words of John that you are deceiving yourself and calling God a liar. Instead, come, confess your sin and know that the advocate is pleading your case and see how God ushers you into true fellowship with him and with his body. Can you stand with me as we pray? Father, we know the gravity of our sin today. But we know the power 
of the blood and of the advocate as well. Lord, I pray in any way that we have been walking in darkness, we've been hiding from you or from ourselves, Lord, that we would stop deceiving ourselves today and that we would come to the light, that we may be saved, God, that we would come to you and that we would find salvation once and for all. God, if we've been hiding, that we would come to you to be healed. That we would come to you to be cleansed of all unrighteousness. That you would erase the sin like it never existed from our heart as you promised to do in your word. Help us not to hold back. 